Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, Penn Gillette, interesting name, Penn Gillette is half of the comedy magic team of Penn & Teller. Uh, Maybe you've seen them perform. He is also an avowed atheist, an outspoken atheist. Uh, He has a great deep-seated disdain for God, for Christianity, for uh, the Bible, and he lets everybody know it. Well, uh, some years ago, there was a Christ follower whose name we don't know who showed up at one of the Penn & Teller shows, and he he was deeply troubled by Penn's antagonism toward God. And so the next day, he came back after the show, didn't go to the show again, but came back after the show with a gift for Penn. It was a little Bible one of those pocket New Testaments, and he'd written a note inside, a gracious note, along with his uh, email address and his phone number in case Penn would ever want to have a conversation about matters of faith. And uh, the next day, Penn posted an online video in response to this guy. Now, you would think he would rip on this Christ follower. He would totally diss him, but he didn't. He didn't. In fact, he commended the guy for his kindness and his grace, and he said, I really admire someone who is, who is as direct as this guy was with me. L- listen to what he says in the video. If you really believe, this is Penn, if you really believe that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Penn went on to use an analogy. He said, you know, if I saw a truck bearing down on you and you were unaware of it, you didn't know it was about to hit you, I would tackle you if that's what was necessary to save your life. And again, he commended this Christ follower for his loving concern. Now, that's our topic for today, a a loving concern for people who are spiritually lost, a loving concern that motivates us to share the good news about Jesus with them. I'm calling today's sermon Compassionate Evangelism. So we're in the second week of a three-part Bible Savvy series. We're working our way through Amos and Jonah and Micah. Okay, we do these Bible Savvy series several times a year. We just drop in wherever our four-year daily Bible reading schedule is taking us. So if you're following that schedule, uh, we recently went through the book of Amos, and in a couple of months' time, we'll have finished the books of Jonah and Micah. And so we want to encourage your reading. If you haven't picked up a schedule yet, join hundreds of other people who are reading the Bible every day. The schedule is available in hard hard copy at any one of our bookshops across our four campuses, or you could just download our mobile app for free, and the the reading schedule is on that as well. So we're going through Amos, Jonah, and Micah. These three books all appear in the closing section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. There are 12 minor prophets in all. We're we're looking at just three of them. They're called minor, not because their books are are insignificant or their message is unimportant, but because their books are small. Their books are shorter than other Bible books. So last week, we were able to cover the entire book of Amos in in one fell swoop. And the, the message, by the way, if you missed it, was on social justice, a really, really important topic for us around Christ Community Church. I knew I would get 
a lot of texts and emails, and you did not disappoint me. Uh, and I, I would say thank you that all of them were positive, which was really a, a beautiful thing and uh, makes me aware of how eager you are to hear God speak and to wrestle with what he has to say. Now, today we're going to do a flyover over of Jonah. So you want to start looking for this short minor prophet toward the end of your, your Old Testament, and hopefully by the end of the sermon you will have found Jonah. And uh, take your outline out as well. Jonah is unique. Jonah is unique among the Bible's prophetic books because it's the only one that doesn't focus on the words or the, the message of the prophet. In fact, Jonah's entire message, the message that God gives him to proclaim, is contained in one verse, chapter 3, verse 4. In the original Hebrew, it's only five words. So, so the book of Jonah doesn't focus on the prophet's message. It focuses on the prophet's life. It tells Jonah's story. The story began when God gave Jonah a message to the people of ancient, for the people of ancient Nineveh. Nineveh was a, a major city about to become the capital of Assyria, which was the superpower of the day. So if you've found Jonah, let me read the opening verse of this prophet to you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this was, a, this was a pretty unusual mission to be given, because up to this point in time, God had always sent his prophets to his own people, to the people of Israel. This time around, he's sending a prophet for the first time to a foreign nation. And it's not only a foreign nation, this city of Nineveh is over 500 miles away. So it's going to be a long, arduous journey on foot for Jonah. And Jonah doesn't want to go. Drop down to verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. That was not a smart move. And he headed for Tarshish. Tarshish was located at the western side of the Mediterranean Sea. God had told Jonah, go, go east to Nineveh. He goes west, west to, Tarsh, to Tarshish in ancient Spain. And uh, let me see. Lost my place here. Uh, so he, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. How many of you know it is a futile thing to flee from an omnipresent God, a God who's everywhere, right? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, you can already guess, even if you've never heard the story of Jonah before, that something really, really bad is about to happen to him, right? You could kind of feel it in, in the air. It, it's not a good thing to blow off Almighty God when he gives you a mission. Okay, when, when God gives you a message to deliver, God expects you to deliver it. And, and that's a challenge that every one of us who is a Christ follower needs to hear today because we've been given a message to deliver. We've been given the good news about Jesus. And God, God wants us to deliver this message we're going to see today from a heart of compassion. You know, for people who are spiritually lost, we bring this message. It's called compassionate evangelism. So I'd like to pose four questions that we can ask ourselves today so as to determine discern how we're doing with this compassionate evangelism. So four questions to ask yourself. If you haven't pulled the outline from your program yet, I encourage you to, to pull it out and fill in these questions. Question number one, 
Who do I really care about? Okay, who do I really care about? Now, I want to pick up the story where we left it off a moment ago. Kind of recap what happens for you. Jonah gets on a ship going west when he should have been going east. And God's not going to let him off that easily. So God sends a violent storm to the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, this is a storm that is so violent that it seems like the ship is going to break apart. This is a storm so violent that seasoned sailors who are used to storms are scared out of their minds. And they begin to cry out to their gods, their pagan gods, for help. And then they go below deck and they roused Jonah, who has gone asleep on a bunk below deck. And they say, pray to your God. Now, just a side note here. Jonah's asleep in this storm. That, that itself is not only unusual that he could sleep during a storm, but, but what's also unusual is that he could blow off Almighty God and sleep through it. That God could give him a message to deliver, and he's not delivering the message, and it doesn't seem to bother him at all. Because he doesn't care about the Ninevites. And he doesn't care that he doesn't care about the Ninevites. You following me? So he can sleep. So they wake him up, and they say, cry out to your God. And, and then they draw lots, the story says. They're you know, picking sticks here. Who's got the short stick? Because they want to find out who's behind this storm. Who is so honked off their God that he's dealing this storm to us? And so Jonah gets the short stick, and they say, yeah, what is going on? What have you done? L- listen to Jonah's response. Drop down to verse 9. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is my Jonah voice. This was a really cheeky, this was a really, really cocky, really condescending opening line of response. But, But it tells us a lot about how Jonah saw himself in relation to other people. Okay, the first thing that Jonah wanted these guys to know was that he was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. He wasn't like these grimy pagan sailors who worshiped the wrong gods. But but there's something that Jonah failed to realize. The reason that God had first chosen his ancient ancestor, Abraham, the the reason that God had told Abraham centuries earlier that he was going to make him into a great nation was not so that future Israelites, Jonah included, could have an exclusive relationship with God. No, just the opposite. God had chosen the Israelites to send them out on a mission. They were to take the good news about the one true God to all peoples everywhere. God had told Abraham Genesis 12, verse 3, through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Well, the Israelites didn't get it. Jonah didn't get it. Chosenness wasn't about belonging to an exclusive club. It was about communicating an inclusive message, the message that you too can have a relationship with this one true God, and here's how you get it. Jonah was all about his own faith in the one true God. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. But he wasn't about helping others find that faith. You get it? Good. You know, those of us who are Christ followers, do we ever lose sight of our mission like that? Do we ever get cliquish about our relationship with Jesus? 
Do we ever close ourselves off from outsiders, forgetting that Jesus has given us the good news to share with them? We are Christ followers. <laughs> and so we have Christian friends, and we send our kids to Christian schools, and we listen exclusively to Christian music, and we follow Christian podcasters, and we go on Christian cruises, and we read Christian romance novels. I hope not. But, <laughs> but I've actually got a friend who works for a Christian publisher, and she edits Christian romance novels. We got our own little subculture. But what about getting the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard? Do we really care? It's our question. Do we really care about spiritually lost people? Question number one, who do I really care about? Jonah didn't care about these sailors. In fact, Jonah had jeopardized their lives by bringing on this violent storm. And here's one of the ironies of the story. And by the way, when you go home and you read the book of Jonah after this, this, this irony pops up time and again. The good guy, supposed good guy in the story, the man of faith, Jonah, he, he consistently does bad things in this story. And the bad guys, they consistently do good things in this story. So in this case, the sailors, the pagan sailors, care more about Jonah than Jonah, the man of God, cares about them. How do I know that? Because as the story progresses in chapter 1, Jonah, uh, knowing they're all going to die, he says, well, why don't you just throw me overboard first and the, the storm will, will calm. And you know what the sailors do? I mean, if it had been me, I would have been grabbing one of his foot, feet at that point. You know, let's go with him. But the sailors pull out the oars and they row as hard as they can trying to get him sh safely to shore. They care more about Jonah than Jonah cares about them. Sometimes non-Christ followers care more about people than Christ followers do. If we really cared about spiritually lost people, wouldn't we tell them the good news about the forgiveness and the new life that, that, that Jesus offers? Penn Jillette thinks we would. If we really believed it and we really cared about people. Your, your, your friend in algebra class whose parents are divorcing and she is distraught. Have you thought about inviting her to your midweek house group? Your, your, your neighbor who just lost her husband to cancer. You know, does she know there's a grief share program at Christ Community Church on Tuesday night and you'll go with her? You know, the friends at work, they see you bow your head and say grace over your roast beef sandwich at lunchtime. Do they know that you pray about other stuff as well and you've seen God give some miraculous answers? Who, who do I really care about? Jonah cared about Jonah and his closed circle of fellow Israelites, his Facebook friends. That's who Jonah cared about. Second question. How has God shown his grace to me? How has God shown his grace to me? The sailors tried to row Jonah to shore in the midst of this violent storm. It was futile. Jonah finally convinced them to throw him overboard, which they very reluctantly did, and the raging sea became calm. Look at the closing verse of chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, liberal Bible scholars don't believe this actually happened. They, they say this is not a real-life story. This is a parable that somebody made up to teach a moral truth. Really? So, you know, which is harder to believe, that God created the universe, stars, planets, galaxies, or that God could create a big fish, big enough to swallow a person? Which is more difficult to believe that God became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus, who died on a cross and then was raised from the grave three days later and lives eternally at the right hand of the Father or to believe that Jonah recovered from his near-death experience? See, the fact of the matter is, if you believe in a supernatural God, then the miraculous elements of this story don't bother you. In fact, conservative Bible scholars tell us this doesn't read like fiction at all. If you're a fiction writer, they point out, and you introduce a supernatural element into your story, you make a big deal of it. It's like the high point of the story. You pull, pull out all the bells and whistles. In, in the story of Jonah, the fish gets two verses. You know, it's kind of matter of fact. No details. We don't know how big the fish was, what color it was. Did it kind of suck Jonah in going, or did it chew on him a little bit? We, we don't know any of that. You know, just as a fish swallowed him. That's it. It's kind of like, well, that's how it happened. Very matter of fact. Now, let me tell you what the most important part of the story is. It's what Jonah does when he's in the belly of the fish. Look, look at the opening verse of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And the entire second chapter of Jonah is his prayer. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of brokenness. It's a prayer of surrender to God. Drop down to verse 7. Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, okay, when I was at rock bottom, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. You know, Jonah couldn't get any lower. In fact, the first two chapters of Jonah repeatedly use the word down, D-O-W-N, to describe the trajectory of Jonah's life. It was going down, down, down. T take a look at this with me. Go back to chapter 1, middle of verse 3. Jonah's running away from the Lord, and he went down to Joppa where he found a ship. If you got your own Bible, circle the word down. And then draw a line to the middle of verse 5. Once on board the ship, Jonah had gone below deck. See below deck? Circle below deck because in the Hebrew, it's literally the word down. He had gone down into the ship. So the English says below deck, but another down. And then draw a line over to chapter 2, verse 6. This is the middle of Jonah's prayer after he gets thrown overboard. He prays the, these words, To the roots of the mountains I sank, say with me, down. Circle down. Down, down, down. Joseph, jo Jonah. I'm going to say Joseph probably a couple of times, so just call out Jonah if I do, okay? Jonah had been going downward for some time. But that's a good thing, because Jonah had been a self-righteous, condescending jerk who didn't care at all for those wicked other people. And so God had to humble Jonah. Best-selling author Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, a book about Jonah, he writes, unless Jonah can see his own sin, 
Unless Jonah can see his own sin and see himself as living wholly by the mercy of God, he will never understand how God can be merciful to evil people, you know, like the Ninevites. And the same thing could be said about us. You know, we won't be interested in bringing a message of God's mercy and grace to other people until we've reflected long and hard on the many ways in which God has shown his undeserved uh, favor to us. See, once we get God's grace personally, once we get it, we can't give it to ourselves. Uh, I read a lot of biographies. I just, I, I love the stories of people's lives. And, uh, Recently, I reread for about the third or fourth time a biography of a guy named C.T. Studd. I just like the dude's name. You know, would love to be called Jim Studd. <laughs> anyway, so C.T. Studd, he was on a trajectory to be an elitist, a super snob, just like Jonah, because he was born into a very wealthy family. This is late 1800s in England. His father was an industrialist, very successful businessman. So he was on his way to, uh, to wealth and fortune, and his parents sent him to Cambridge, which uh, is one of the most prestigious universities in the world. He was a star athlete, very popular athlete. In fact, uh, I don't know the game of cricket, but I understand he was a cricketer. I understand that he was uh, one of the greatest cricket players to ever play the game. But in spite of all that C.T. Studd had going for him, there was a God-sized hole in his heart. There was something missing. And one day he surrendered his life to Jesus, and Jesus filled the hole. And he was so impressed with the grace of God. He became an avid Bible reader. In fact, one day his roommate gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and there is C.T. Studd. He's already awake. He's got his Bible open on his desk, and he's pouring over it. And his, his friend says, what are you doing? And he says, yeah. I'm reading God's word. He said, I just came across something Jesus said in the Gospels. Jesus said, if we love him, we'll do what he commands. And he said, so I've been going through all the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, writing down every command he's given, and I'm amazed at how many I haven't obeyed. He was, he was so impressed with how far short he fell of God's standards and how gracious God, God had been to him in offering him forgiveness and new life in Christ. So he couldn't keep it to himself. He graduated from college in 1885. He got on a ship and he went to China and he stayed in China for 15 years telling people about Jesus. Finally, his asthma got so bad he had to be sent home to England. But he only stayed for a year and by this time he was married and he went off to India where people hadn't heard about Jesus. And he stayed there for six years where he was a pastor of a church. And then again, so sick he had to come home to England. He lasted in jolly old England for about a year and then he got so restless he said, I'm going to Africa. And, and he went to some missions organizations and said, would you support me? And they said, well, we'll support you if you get doctor's approval. Well, there was no doctor who was going to approve this guy who was now in his mid-50s and you know, had a bunch of sicknesses that he was prone to. And so they said no, and the missions organization said no. And he said, I'm saying yes to Jesus anyway. And he went to Africa where he stayed for 18 years telling people about Jesus and starting churches and so on. Why? China, India, Africa. Because he was so overwhelmed by the grace of God in his life, he couldn't keep it to himself. Now, there's a, 
There is a reason I'm telling you the C.T. Studd story. It's a bit of a setup. You're wondering why I'm stripping up here right now, okay? But I got your attention. I'm wearing my Go Team t-shirt here. You know, this is where I ask you, those of you who are Christ Community Church regular attenders, would you be willing to go? Would you, would you be willing to go on an 8- to 10-day Go Team trip sometime this year 2019 to work with one of our half dozen international impact partners. Don't you love the way I just eased into that? We, we have 25 go team trips heading out between now and the end of 2019. Now, there are all sorts of reasons not to join one of these trips. It'll eat up your vacation time. You're too important at work. They're going to miss you too badly. Uh, you'd have to get somebody to watch your kids for that period of time. You've never traveled internationally before, and you're not sure how you do with that. How can I motivate you to consider a Go Team trip? Well, the truth of the matter is, if Jesus is just an add-on to your life, if somewhere along the line uh, someone said, you need to trust Jesus, and you said, okay, and he became an extra, I'll never be able to motivate you to do something as crazy as go on a go team trip. You will never be passionate about telling others about what you have in Christ. But if Jesus has rescued you from sin, if Jesus has rescued you from a life without purpose, if Jesus has rescued you maybe from an addiction or from paralyzing fears or from broken relationships, if Jesus most certainly has rescued you from an eternity apart from God, then you can't keep that salvation to yourself. So I want to ask you, how has God shown his grace to you? How has God shown his grace to you? How has God rescued you from the belly of the fish, so to speak? See, if you got an answer to that question, you say, oh, whoa, I could tell you stories about how God has rescued my life. Then you're going to want to tell your friends. You're going to want to tell your school, schoolmates, your coworkers, your extended family your neighbors, your buds at the gym, the barista at the coffee shop. And when Christ Community Church promotes go team trips to Haiti and Nicaragua and Brazil and Sierra Leone and Czech Republic and Bangladesh, you're going to want to jump on a, on a ship and go there. So how has God shown his grace to you? Are you, you overwhelmed by how good God has been so overwhelmed that you can't keep it to yourself. This is compassionate evangelism. Question number three. When did I last share the gospel with someone? And this is a question I want you to ask yourself right now. If you're a Christ follower, when did I last share the good news about Jesus with someone? When was my last conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus? Was it last week? You know, has it been a month? Sometime over the past year? Never? Let, let me say a few words about presenting the gospel uh, to other people, uh, things we learned from Jonah. First thing is this, our, our gospel conversations should include both bad news and good news. Our gospel conversations should include both bad news and good news. After uh, Jonah surrendered his life to God in the belly of the fish, take a look at what happened next. Last verse of chapter 2, verse 10. 
And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I've always wondered what Jonah looked like. What he smelled like. It's a middle schooler in me coming out. Keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. You better believe he did this time. So, okay, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, what does he say? What, what is Jonah's gospel presentation? Look, look, look at verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, here's his message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all Jonah said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Five words in the original Hebrew. Summary, God's judgment is a coming. Now, I'm going to call this the bad news of the gospel. And it's really, really important for people to hear. Because people won't understand the good news of the gospel without the context of the bad news. One of Christianity's most familiar hymns is Amazing Grace. You know, people who are not Christ followers, they've heard the the words so many times they could quote the words. Now, why is God's grace so amazing? Well, you got to finish the first line. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that what? Say it. Saved a wretch like me. See, the fact of the matter is, if you don't see your own sinful wretchedness, if you don't see how your sin has separated you from a holy God, if you don't see yourself in danger of God's judgment, then God's grace will never seem that amazing to you. You know, most people don't get the amazingness of God's grace because they've never heard the bad news. Jesus said, I'm like a doctor, which is why people won't come to me unless they realize they're spiritually sick. So so how do we make people aware of the fact that they're spiritually sick? How do we make them aware of the fact that they're they're sinners, that they're in trouble with a holy God? Personally, I've found that the easiest and least offensive way to introduce the bad news into a conversation is to just tell that part of my own story. See, you've all got that part of your story, right? So for me, it goes something like this. Before I surrendered my life to Christ, I was so incredibly self-centered. My life revolved around me. I used people. I used my buddies. I used my girlfriends. And then one day I woke up to the reality that my self-centeredness was keeping God at a distance. I was disconnected from the one who's the giver of life. And that disconnection resulted in spiritual death. I had a problem. I could be eternally lost. You see how that works? So as you talk about God with others, there's got to be a bad news side to it. Or people will never see their need for Jesus. Just personalize it. Tell about your bad side. But don't stop with the bad news. Move on to the good news. Now, unfortunately, Jonah left that part out of his presentation. Uh, Some Bible scholars say that that Jonah deliberately truncated the gospel here. He didn't want to tell the Ninevites the good news. He, He didn't want to say, you know, if you'll just repent of your sins and turn to God, he'll forgive you. He'll turn your life around. So why did Jonah not want to include the good news in his presentation? Because Jonah hated the Ninevites. 
You know, Nineveh was the most prominent city in Assyria, and the Assyrians were notoriously cruel conquerors. If they came into your city and destroyed it, they would then take the leading citizens of the city, they would decapitate them and stack their heads in a pile in the middle of town. Or they would skin them alive, or they would impale them on stakes and post them prominently in the city. Jonah didn't want these guys to to repent and be forgiven. Now, this is probably not the case with most of the people that we're going to share the good news with, right? With friends, with, with family. We want them to be forgiven. We want them to experience new life in Christ. So we've got to explain the good news of the gospel to them. Maybe some of you don't know the good news. Here here it is. Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty that our sins deserve. God loves us so much he sent his son. The penalty for our sins is death. We disconnected from the giver of life. The consequence was death. God sent Jesus to take the death we deserve to die. Being the infinite son of God, his sacrifice is of infinite worth so that anyone who surrenders their life to him, if you'll surrender your life to him, you can experience forgiveness and new life. This is the good news people have got to hear. Now, as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about the gospel to others, we've got to mention both the bad news and the good news. And one additional thought here, when we talk about the gospel with others, we need to confidently assume that God is already at work in their hearts. Let me repeat that. When you talk about Jesus, when spiritual things come up around the water cooler at work or the lunch table at school or in the neighborhood, you've got to confidently assume that God is already at work in the heart of the person you're speaking to. I mean, you won't believe what happened in Nineveh after Jonah finished preaching. Even though he had told them only the bad news and had skipped the good news, When he finished his sermon, the text says, the king of Nineveh took off his royal robes, dropped to his knees, repented of his sins, and then issued an edict that everybody in the country should do the same thing. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. This is the closing line or two of the king's edict. He says, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. That was a sign of humility and remorse. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the people responded. They repented and God forgave them. Now, how in the world did they know what to do? Because Jonah hadn't given them these instructions. He just said, punishment's coming. How did they know to repent? How did the king know to drop to his knees and pray a prayer like that? Because God was working in their hearts. Now, here's my takeaway, friends. Sometimes we get so worried about having spiritual conversations with other people because what if I get in the the middle of this and I don't know what to say? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I get tongue-tied and I'm just not that, that, that eloquent? What if they ask me questions I can't answer? And I say, we got to chill. we got to realize that it's not up to us. It's up to God. It's, it's the message that God works into people's hearts. Okay, He's been at work in the heart of the person that you're talking to. You can't blow it, all right? 
Now, having said that, I, you know, I would encourage you always keep some copies of that God's Good News booklet that we make available at our information counter. You should carry two or three copies of that, that with you all the time in your glove compartment, your backpack, uh, your purse, uh, where, where, so you could pull it out and say, hey, I'm not very good at explaining this, but this is the best news in the universe. I'd love for you to read it. And you pass it on. And by the way, if you decide to go on a Go Team trip, one of the bonuses is before you go, we train you in how to share the good news of Jesus with others. Just, just a bonus. And friends, just one other thought about this. Even if you never, you never feel capable of sharing the details of how to come to Christ with somebody, you can at least invite them to something at Christ Community Church where they'll hear the good news about Jesus, Right? You can at least say, hey, come to this Inspiring Stories weekend with me. Or, hey, come to my uh, community group if you're interested in knowing anything about the Bible. Or, hey, come to house group with me, what, whatever. Question number four. What gets me more worked up than others' lostness? This is a question to ask yourself. What gets me more worked up than others' lostness? Now, I wish we had time to read the entire fourth chapter of Jonah out loud. This is one great short story. But we don't have the time, so let me recap it for you. Okay, so Jonah preaches this message, and everybody from the king on down, they repent. God forgives them. And you would think that Joseph would be satisfied. Mission accomplished. But he wasn't satisfied. Did I say Joseph? God. At the other campuses right now, they're wondering, what was that uproar? So, no, they probably called out Jonah too, right? Did you call it out in DeKalb? Probably. Okay. So in spite of the fact that they had responded to Jonah's message and, and repented, you, you would think that you know, he would say, mission accomplished. But instead, Jonah was angry. He was furious with God. You know, he expected God to nuke these people, not pardon them. In fact, he was still hoping secretly in his heart that God might change his mind. And God might rain fire and brimstone on him, possibly. So he goes off to a place where he can overlook the city. On a bluff, he's looking at the city and, and he, he waits. Because he's hoping God will still send divine punishment. And God decides, you know, it's time I teach my buddy Jonah a lesson. And so he causes this plant to grow up beside Jonah. Bible scholars think maybe it's a castor oil plant. They're plants that grow quickly in that region of the world. They grow to six to eight feet in height. And it gave him some shade from the blazing sun. And Jonah appreciates that. That's nice. Nice. But God's not done. God sends a little worm to eat away at the plant. The plant withers. And now Jonah is really, really, really angry. So drop down to chapter 4, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. <laughs> you got to read it with the right emphasis. It's like a fifth, uh, fifth grader pitching a tizzy fit, right? Apologies to fifth graders here. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you, you, didn't, you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? You are so concerned about this plant, Jonah. Do you care about people? 
You know, the book of Jonah ends with this question from God. There, there is no resolution to this situation. We have no idea how Jonah responded. And Bible scholars say that this open-endedness is deliberate. It makes us, the readers, wrestle with God's question for ourselves. So again, what is the question? The question is, do we get more worked up about the stupid little things in our lives than we do about the people we know who are spiritually lost? Do we get more worked up about the stupid little things in our lives than we do about the people we know who are spiritually lost. Somebody sent me a video, <laughs> real-life real family video this week, uh, that, uh, with some comedy, it kind of presents this same point. It's a little girl, I'll set it up for you. She had been given waffles the night before for dinner and waffles the next morning for breakfast, and now her mom said, no more, no more waffles. And this is the little girl's response. Take a look at this. about waffles. Oh, I, I can't stop dreaming about waffles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about waffles. I can't stop dreaming about waffles. Now, maybe you don't get worked up about waffles, but what does get you worked up, more worked up than you get about spiritually lost people. What got you worked up this week? This cold weather goes on forever. Your job, Chicago sports teams, you know, they're predicting that the Cubs won't, won't win more than 70-some games this year. thought I'd tell you that. No date for Friday night, the bad meal you had at a local restaurant, politics. See, compassionate evangelism is getting worked up about something that really, really matters. People who don't know Jesus as Savior and King of their lives and so are facing an eternity apart from God. And so God is asking us through the prophet Jonah, do you get worked up about that? Let's pray together. As we bow before God in just a, a moment, we will um, we'll sing a closing song about bringing the good news of Jesus to others and collect our gifts. But let me just scroll th through the four questions. Who do you really care about? Question number one. Do you really care about people who don't know Jesus or does your world revolve around your Facebook friends? Question number two. How has God shown his grace to you. Do you have a story of grace, overwhelming grace, that you can't keep to yourself? Question number three, when did you last share the gospel with somebody? Has it been a long time since you've talked about the bad news and the, the good news of Jesus? Question number four, what gets you more worked up than others' lostness? What got you worked up this week? Did others' lostness enter the picture at all? I'm going to add a fifth question to it. Would you go on a go team trip in 2019? 
And even if you, you say, well, I can't answer that right now, would you seriously consider a GO team in 2019? By seriously consider, I mean you, you, you will make a commitment right now as you're bowed before Almighty God to look into it, to check it out, to pray about it, to talk about it with others to go to any orientation meetings that will give you additional information. Would you do that? And I'm going to ask you, as we're bowed before God, I'm going to ask you to do something physical, because I'd like to pray for you. If you would be willing to go on a GO team in 2019, or at least seriously, prayerfully consider it, would you stand up right now, whatever campus you're at? Don't stand and sit. I want you to stand and stay standing. I want to close in prayer for you. Good. Good. All around the auditorium. God's speaking to your heart. You're saying, yep, I could do that. This is going to be a, a hat thrown over the fence, but I'm going to throw it and then go after it. Okay, across the other campuses, DeKalb, are you standing? Streamwood, you got people in Streamwood standing right now? Aurora, you know, stand up in the balcony if you're willing to go here in St. Charles. God, I want to pray for these people who are standing right now that you would confirm that interest on their part, that you would bring them on a go team that will change their lives and give them an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus to people who have very little chance to hear. And God, I want to pray for every one of us who's seated that we would pray for people who go, that we would give generously to our church's offering so that we could support these short-term trips. And I, and I want to pray that you would give us, in the context of our school and workplace and neighborhood, a boldness to speak up for Jesus and bring him into our conversations. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.